0: Assalamu salamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu, you're listening to the Qalam Podcast. Qalam is an organization that is dedicated to making Islamic knowledge accessible to everyone. Alhamdulillah, Qalam has been able to serve so many people all across the world in so many ways. And now, Qalam has the opportunity and the ability to take its work to the next level. Qalam now has the ability to expand its offerings to people all across the world in so many different ways. Qalam is acquiring a campus, a home, where we can continue to do the work that we do and in fact increase what we do. But we need your help, we need your support to make that dream a reality. Go to QalamCampus.com and donate generously. Every single person listening to this podcast, benefiting from Qalam, I need you to go there and donate and share that link far and wide and let's all of us come together invest into our sadaqa and take this work to the next level jazakumullahu khairan wassalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. now enjoy the podcast bismillahir
1: alhamdulillah alhamdulillah wa kafaa wa ala ibadihi khususan wa anbiya wa ala alihi amma So alhamdulillah, today we restart our classes, we stopped before Ramadan. Today, since it's the first session, rather than continuing to read the actual text of Sheikh Abdul Fattah I thought we'd spend some time covering a subject connected to seeking knowledge. Specifically, the etiquettes of the ones seeking knowledge. And what are some considerations that you should have in mind as you seek knowledge so it helps you, inshallah? The subject matter is connected, and those of you that are here, mashallah, are students as well, so it'll benefit all of us, inshallah. The uh, discussion that we'll have today is a summary of a chapter from Imam Ghazali, where he list out the etiquettes of the student and teacher. So he says that so this particular chapter is regarding fat The calamities attached to seeking knowledge. And regarding corrupt ulama and also the ulama of the hereafter. So he starts off by saying ulama corrupt ulama. This discussion of corrupt scholars and corrupt ulama is one that's very dear to Imam Ghazali rahmatullahi alayhi, Because One thing that became very clear to Imam Ghazali who was a student of knowledge and scholar and taught at a very prestigious university of his time, Nidhamiya, and interacted with so many people of knowledge, that not everyone was doing it with the right intention. And because the reasons weren't right, if that soil is corrupt, you can't expect anything good to come from there. So if we intend to change anything within ourselves, our communities, or even the world, it needs to start with addressing this rotten soil. That so we have to start by purifying these hearts and highlighting what the problems are within scholars. Because if people of ilm and those doing da'wah are insincere. And if they are doing things for the wrong reasons, there is no ikhlas that'll trickle down into students and by connection of that to the world. What we will see is people are attending gatherings of knowledge, they're taking courses, they're traveling to study, but the problem remains the same, that there's corruption and knowledge itself doesn't fix problems. A tool to fix problems. What we have seen in some scenarios is that people gain a lot of knowledge but rather than using that knowledge to connect with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they end up using it to establish their own prestige. Or they spend their entire life just writing refutations on other people, fighting and arguing, creating some sort of a drama show for the average people to sit by the side and watch and chime in on the comment section. So the purity of this deen revelation that has the ability to change the trajectory of humanity is lost. It's not because ilm itself can't change people, but rather it's because this tool is being used in the wrong manner. Therefore Imam Ghazali rahmatullahi, alayhi, addresses ulama that if we want change it has to start with us addressing those that are involved in education it just takes one person's sincerity one person's care to touch the heart of a young person or an adult one male one female of the community for change to occur you don't need a whole ummah of people you need one person now imagine the impact if there is a whole ummah of people who are working with sincerity and ikhlas and are avoiding the traps of shaitan on this path that lie ahead. If for an Ami person, a common individual, the traps of shaitan are abundant, then imagine the case for those who are seeking knowledge and actually stand a chance at defeating shaitan. Does anyone have a charger for this? There's maybe a wire back here that you can use some kind of extension cord. I'm not sure where you've connected. There might be something. Sure. Yes, Rick? Imagine the number of shayateen that are connected with a single alim, a single student of knowledge. Working very hard on just getting them to slip and for them to not take their role in all of this seriously. Never sell yourself short. Don't do things haphazardly. If you're going to do something, shoot for the stars. That inshallah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will accept me for the greatest khidma of the deen. No matter what stage of seeking knowledge I'm at. You don't have to be an al per se. You don't have to be an allama, a grand scholar. What you need is knowledge that's beneficial. You need hard work. You need mentors. You need good companions. And then change starts. So he starts off Imam Ghazali here by saying, ulama su- who are these corrupt individuals? They are those whose goal and intention from seeking knowledge is To find luxury in the world. And to... Find a station to reach a place that is respected among people of knowledge. That among students of knowledge I am viewed as a senior, or among scholars, I am viewed as an author, an orator, someone who has a maqam, I'm not treated lightly within these circles. عن For Abu Huraira nabi sallallahu alayhi wa Abu narrates from Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi أنه قال that the Prophet said, من تعلم علما مما Nabi says, whoever seeks such a knowledge, which is supposed to be for gaining the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, which is for seeking the pleasure of Allah. مِمَّا بِهِ الله. He seeks that knowledge. However, what's his intention? This individual is seeking this knowledge to attain some worldly goal. That maybe I'll get invited to this convention. Or maybe if I seek this knowledge, I can open up some social media account and drop gems on people and gather a great following. لَا يَتَعَلَّمُهُ إِلَّا لِيُصِيبَ بِهِ غَرَضًا مِّنَ الدُّنْيَا لَمْ يَجِدَ عَرْفَ الْجَنَّةِ يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ That person will be deprived of the fragrance of Jannah on the Day of Judgment. This hadith is narrated by Imam Abu Dawud رحمة الله عليه under the chapter في طلب العلم لغير الله Seeking knowledge for other than Allah سبحانه وتعالى وفي حديث آخر أنه قال مَن تَعَلَّمَ الْعِلْمَ لِيُبَاهِيَ بِهِ الْعُلَمَاءِ Whoever seeks knowledge, to compete with scholars. الصفحة, or to argue with fools. إليه, or to turn the faces of people in his direction. النار, that person will be in the fire of hell. This hadith is narrated by Imam Tirmidhi in his sunan. وَفِي ذَلِكَ kathira, And there are many narrations like this from Rasulullah That warn us of seeking knowledge with the wrong intent. When I was young, this incident occurred almost over 20 years ago. I used to love arguing and fighting a lot. I loved it. So in the madrasa, this news spread that there's a young guy who fights and argues a lot. Someone complained to one of the senior students. I was very new in the madrasa at the time. This is a common state of year one, year two students. Usually they like to argue and fight a lot because at that point you think you know it all. And that was uh, my state, unfortunately. So one senior student, I still remember his name, but I won't mention it. He sat me down. He invited me to his room for tea. He said, you know, break at four o'clock. Come to my room. We'll have tea together. I said, sure. I mean, who doesn't like English tea with some British biscuits? So I sat with him and we had some tea and biscuits and then he said to me, so why, why are you seeking knowledge? He asked me this question. And I gave an answer. He said, that's the wrong answer. So I gave another answer. He said, wrong answer. And I kept going. I kept giving answers because every time he said wrong answer, I felt like he was challenging me. So I went again. I went again. I went again. And when he kept saying wrong, it frustrated me. It really did. On one hand, I felt like saying to him, well, you don't know why I'm seeking knowledge. You don't get to tell me I'm wrong. I can seek knowledge for any reason I want to. But I was patient because I had a feeling that something was going to come out of this. So I kept giving answers. And then he stopped me and said, the only true and acceptable intention for seeking knowledge must always be first and foremost for the sake of Allah. And it hit me that he was right. If I accepted it, if I conceded in that moment and let my, er- my ego go and let the arrogance fall aside, he was right. That the one true reason for seeking knowledge is the pleasure of Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala. All other intentions come later. That this ilm is about building a ta'alluq with Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala. And all knowledge, should, that should be your intention that how can I use this moment to draw closer to Allah. How does your sajda improve the moment you walk out of this gathering? How does your dhikr become more consistent in your life when you leave this place? If that's the intention that you have, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will open your heart in ways that are unimaginable today. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one who guides those that are sincere. He always takes care of those that are sincere. Look at the story of Salman al-Farsi radiallahu anhu. So in these ahadith, we see Rasulullah wasallam warning us of faulty intentions. When you go to seek knowledge, you start off with doing it for the sake of Allah alone. And then secondly, for your own improvement. How can I become a better person? How does this impact me? And then after that, we can talk about contributions and how to impact the world and so on. This doesn't mean that you spend 30 years of your life improving yourself while ignoring others if you are a person of knowledge. It means that you do both things together, but your primary priority is focusing on yourself. That if you aren't practicing something, and if your intention is not correct, that it bothers you. That it keeps you awake at night. That before you speak, you do isti'ada, you ask Allah for protection, that, Ya Allah, what am I doing? Ya Allah, guide me. You've guided people before, you can guide me to ilaha al-alameen. That should be your goal. That should, that should be your main focus. Imam Ghazali, alayhi, then says, وَقَالَ بَعْضُ salaf That some of the righteous scholars said, أَشَدُّ النَّاسِ نَدَامَةٍ عِنْدَ الْمَوْتِ al Mufrit. The person who has the greatest regret at the time of death is a scholar who did not stay within their boundaries. Someone who disobeyed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because the Nadama, the regret there is that I could have had it. I had the knowledge, I put in the time, made the sacrifice, traveled the world, put the hours in, but I lost out on the reward because I couldn't control myself. وليس عليه أن يكون زاهدا ولا معلدا عن المباحات إلا أنه ينبغي له أن يتقلل من الدنيا مهما استطاع لأنه ليس كل جسم يقبل التقلل. يقبل التقلل فإن الناس يتفاوتون He says that and know that it is the responsibility of the scholar to first and foremost establish أن يقوم بالأوامر والنواهي that you prioritize in your life The commands of Allah and you prioritize staying away from the things that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has prohibited you from. Make that your priority. That how can I bring the awamir, the things that are commanded by Allah into my life? And how can I avoid the things that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has prohibited me from? This is a moment for you to pause and reflect that where in my life am I falling behind on the awamir, the commands of Allah? Personal question. Where am I falling weak when Shaitan whispers and calls me to disobedience of Allah? How am I standing up and correcting myself? Then he says, <laughs> that you don't need to avoid things that are permitted in Islam. Some people they think righteousness is to avoid things that are permissible in Islam., <laughs> things that are allowed. There are some people, however, who are looking for that higher goal and they're really trying to push themselves to the next level. And you have the natural ability, you have the natural capacity to live with little and make the sacrifices, then go ahead. But at the same time, remember, not every human being can tolerate little. Some people need more food, some people need less. He cites It is said regarding Hussa thori Kana Husrul Matam, that he was someone that enjoyed his meal. He enjoyed a good meal. He would say that an animal, if you don't give it the right fodder and if you don't feed it properly, it won't it won't work. It won't work in the field. It'll get exhausted. And same as the body. People are constantly looking for ways to sleep less and eat less. Where these are good sacrifices um, to you know, hope for so you can be more productive during the day and not giving to your own constant temptations, it's not always a good thing as well. Our Shaykh ta'ala used to tell us, sleep as much as you need, eat as much as you need. He would say, however, try to focus more on speaking less. In Tazkiyah, these are three things that they promote. Three usul of Tazkiyah. These are the three fundamental principles of Tazawuf in Tazkiyah. What are they? قلة الكنا, قلة الطعام, قلة المنام, قلة that you sleep less, you eat less, and you speak less. So he would say to us that people are different, and in today's world with you know, the comforts that we've become accustomed to, as students he would tell us, sleep as much as you can, as much as you need. Sleep extra, give yourself, and I would say, give yourself those eight hours that your body may need. So you can be productive while you're awake, otherwise if you sleep less, you're gonna be groggy, uh, deprived of energy, so much sleep debt built up, you won't be productive. So sleep as much as you need. He would say regarding Al ta'am, eat as much as your body needs. Again, not to be unhealthy. He was very particular and would get upset when he would see people who weren't looking after their health. There were some students who had come to madrasa, and you know, students are students and you're young, so you're sleeping, and then you realize, oh, it's class time, so you wake up, brush your teeth, do your wudu, run straight to class. Sheikh Yusuf found out the students weren't doing breakfast, and then he said, maybe the reason why the students aren't having their breakfast is because the dining hall is in the opposite direction of the classrooms. Because there was a big dining hall, but it was in the opposite direction. You had to walk all the way there. So then he instructed the management, from now on, every single student's breakfast will be placed individually outside their classroom, right outside the door. So every classroom had a door outside. And your pastry would be sitting there. The percolator tea was there. You'd get your breakfast and go inside. It was kind of awkward because people wouldn't clean up after themselves and the classrooms would get messy. But it was his love that he did this, because he said that no student should go to class without having breakfast. How are you going to study if you're hungry and if you don't have energy? in But then at the same time, he also noticed one time that the students, some of them are putting weight on. So he called the cook. This is while I was there, by the way. And he said to him, are you using unhealthy ingredients to cook for these students? Because they're putting weight on. So he scolded him too. And said, from now on you will avoid this, this, and this, and cook like this, this, and this. So there's a balance in the middle. But the third thing that he really emphasized was, Billatul Kalam: Learn to speak less. And this is one thing he emphasized all the time. And oh Allah, how much trouble did I get in with Shaykh Yusuf because I couldn't control this problem. Oh. And the problem was every time he would see me, I would be saying something. I don't know what I'd be saying, but speaking. And when he would get angry, he wouldn't say something to me that would have been so much easier. He would just look at me. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala shower his grave with immense noor. His harshness was so appreciated. His adab was so appreciated. Imam Ghazali رحمة continues and he says, وَمِن... so there he listed some of the characteristics of corrupt scholars. Now he goes and focuses on ulama al-akhirah, people who focus on the akhirah. and He lays out some traits, some characteristics. وَمِن صِفَاتِ عُلَمَاءِ الْآخِرَةِ أَنْ يَعْلَمُوا أَنَّ الدُّنْيَا حَقِيرَةٌ وَأَنَّ الْآخِرَةَ وانهما ضَرَّتَيْنَ Co-wives. Right? And he says from the uh, characteristic of characteristics of the ulama, of the akhirah sincere ulama who are searching for the pleasure of Allah, that they understand very well that this world and everything it possesses is lowly. Don't have dreams for fancy shamancy cars and to live luxurious lives. Don't have those dreams. If they come, Alhamdulillah. If they don't come, don't make that your life goal. You have to internalize this. And the akhirah is one that carries true honor. That's what you should desire. That's what you make dua for. That's what you ask Allah for. Asking Allah for the dunya is not a bad thing. Rabbana atina dunya, Hasana. This is the most common du'a of Rasulullah as narrated by Ummul al Mu'minin. Aisha radiallahu عنها Beautiful du'a. Rabbana atina فِي dunya hasana. O Allah, give us good in this world. And the interesting thing for those, for those of you that are um, keen on language, both of these are nakira. Hasana and hasana are both nakira. They're not marifa And the tafsir implication of this is quite beautiful. If you were to read a tafsir, and just look at the commentary on fiddunya hasana" and then "wafil hasana." That what is this referring to? You'll find many opinions there, because of the fact it's madi, it's nakira and not maarifa. Anyway, for whom you al for those scholars prefer the hereafter. وأقوالهم, and there. Actions and statements don't contradict us. And therefore they are constantly inclined towards knowledge that benefits them in the hereafter. He says that, and so therefore they avoid those sciences that have little benefit, so they can spend more time studying and learning that which has a lot more benefit. كَمَا رُوِيَ عَنْ شَفِيقَ البلخي أَنَّهُ قَارَ لِحَاتِمُ قَدْ صَحِبْتَنِي مُدَّةً فَمَاذَا تَعَلَّمْتَ He says that a teacher once asked a student that hey, you've spent such a extensive time with me. So what did you learn? Tell me. قَالَ He said, I learned eight things from you. أَمَّا الْأُولَى The first thing. فَإِنِّي نَظَرْتُ إِلَى الْخَلْقِ فَإِذَا كُلُّ شَخْصٍ لَهُ محبوب the first thing I learned is that I looked at the creation and I noticed that everyone has a beloved. فَإِذَا وَصَلَ إِلَى الْقَبْرِ فَارَقَهُ مَحْبُوبُهُ And then when that person reaches his grave, his beloved is gone. Everyone falls in love, but when they reach their grave, their beloved is not seen anywhere. فَجَعَلْتُ مَحْبُوبِي حَسَنَاتِي لِتَكُونَ مَعِي فِي الْقَبْرِ So I made good deeds my beloved. So they will be with me in my grave. As for the second lesson, I pondered over the statement of Allah and He prevented himself from his temptations. And he presented himself from the temptation. So I forced my nafs to avoid my, my inner self to avoid. Engaging and succumbing to temptations. until it became firm and settled on being content with the obedience of Allah. واما الثالثة, as for the third lesson. That I saw that any person that has anything of value Focuses very much on preserving it. يحفظو. If you have something of value, you take care of it. You have expensive jewelry, you don't leave it lying around, you put it in a safe. Right? You have a fancy car, you don't leave it outside the garage. The daily driver stays outside the garage, where does the fancy one go? Inside the garage, especially if you live in uh, Texas, you have to worry about hail subhanahu wa ta'ala, then I pondered over the statement of Allah. مَا عِنْدَكُمْ يَنْفَدُ وَمَا عِنْدَ الله That that which is with you will perish and that which is with Allah will remain. فَكُلَّمَا وَقَعَ مَعِيَ شَيْءٌ لَهُ قِيمًا وَجَّهْتُهُ إِلَيْهِ لِيَبْقَى لِعِنْدَهُ لي So anytime I had anything of value, I directed it to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so it will remain with me forever. This is phenomenal because what we're learning here is that anything that your heart desires, you change the perspective of how you're going to engage with it and what utility it'll have in your life. What is this going to do? Why am I buying this car? Why am I buying this house? Why am I seeking this knowledge? Why will I take all this career path? I turned it and I redirected it to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so, I will find it with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Well, as for the fourth thing, I noticed by pondering and studying people that everyone keeps coming back to their wealth, their lineage, their prestige. That these are things that people fall back on. That I'm from so and so clan, I'm from so and so people, I'm from so and so country. They take pride in that. This is my wealth said بِشَيْءٍ When all of the reality is, they don't mean anything. These things come and go. They don't have any value. فنظرت إِلَىٰ قَوْلِهِ تَعَالَىٰ So I pondered on the statement of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. إِنَّ أَكْرَمَكُمْ عِنْدَ اللَّهِ أطلقم. The most honorable, honorable of you are those that are most conscious. فَعَمِلْتُ فِي التَّقْوَىٰ So I made my deeds within the boundaries of taqwa. I ensured everything that I did was... Embedded within the consciousness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sports recreation travel family time that in all of it I kept Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala close to So in return, I will be honorable in the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala As for the fifth thing I notice that people are very jealous towards one another They're always competing classmates, the jealousy is almost tangible that so-and-so person read a hundred rakat, I'm going to read hundred and fifty so-and-so person got a hundred in the exam I'm going to get hundred and one that happens by the way even the percentage is supposed to be capped at hundred they push it to hundred and one somehow so there's yet the atahasadun, siblings uh, have jealousy and, and co-workers and you know they say, the people that you will be jealous of most in your life are actually those that are closest to you. Therefore, in the science of jarah wa criticism towards narrators, if two individuals are from the same generation and they lived at the same time, their criticism is taken with a grain of salt, with a pinch of salt. Why is that? Because the ruling is, Ahlul mu'asara Ahlul Munafara. People of one generation tend to have a little bit of a friction. Ahlul Mu'asara. ahlul المنافرى. And they have some friction between them. فنظرت في فنظرت في he said, I noticed that people were very jealous towards one another, so I pondered over the statement of Allah. In which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that we are the ones who distributed their livelihood among them. We're the one who gave. So I stopped being jealous because I realized that I wasn't in competition against the individual, I was in competition against Allah. And I wasn't interested anymore. If one person had memorized 23 Jews and I had memorized 15 Jews, all I can say was, Alhamdulillah, نحن قصمنا بينهم معيشته في الدنيا بعضهم فوق درجات ليتخذ بعضهم بعض, بعض <laughs> خير anyway, that Allah سبحانه وتعالى tells us that He is the one who gives. So one person has height, you don't have it, why be jealous? Alhamdulillah. One person is stronger than you are, Alhamdulillah. One person is smarter than you are, Alhamdulillah. Some person you in your eyes objectively has more beauty, Alhamdulillah. Every person has their own thing, you know. And if you're angry, you're not angry at that person. You're just letting it out on that person. In reality, who is your qualm actually with? Allah الساجسة, As for the sixth thing, I saw people have great animosity towards one another. Previous one was jealousy. This one is they. They take each other as enemies. So I pondered over the. Statement of Allah Azza wa Jal. That Shaytan is your enemy, so take him as your enemy. So I stopped spending my energy on hating others because I already had an enemy that Allah instructed me to avoid, and I gave all of my energy to Shaytan. I didn't have time to focus on other people. I had to focus on Shaytan because. He is a skilled opponent, very skilled. He is a worthy opponent. If you have two opponents in front of you, one's a weak one, the other one's a tough one. Do you focus on the weak one or the tough one? If you're playing defense and basketball and you've got two guys rushing your way, who do you focus on? You Focus on the skill one. You keep the other one in the corner of your eye. Just from here, just kind of know where they are. But your focus is where? On this one right here, because anything that happens, any kamal that person has in reality will be a result of this person. That person is busa as we say. It's extra. This is the person that's going to be the dangerous one. So when you have multiple enemies, you don't look at the guy who has naan in his hand, you look at the one that has a gun in his hand. And you run from both of them. The one with the naan will kill you slowly. A sabia, as for the seventh thing, رأيتهم, رأيتهم I notice that people are willing to humiliate themselves for the sake of seeking worldly sustenance. They will go against their own principles. Here we're not talking about doing meager or tasks that others may look down upon society. We're not talking about that. Here we're talking about يُذِلُّونَ أَنْفُسَهُمْ What are we speaking of here? Sacrificing your own principles Something that you know by doing this You are disgracing yourself You're doing something haram That goes against what you believe in You're selling yourself out So I pondered over the statement of Allah That there is not a Animal In this earth But its sustenance is on Allah so I focused on that. I focused on that. That which he has over me. Those rights that he has over me. I didn't sacrifice my principles. I stood firm by them. And then in return, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala took care of me. As for the eighth thing, and this is the last on the list, ra'aytuhum ra'aytuhum mutawakkilin ala tijaratihim wasana'iihim wa i saw them always relying on their trade and their and their um and their businesses their their skills and the health that they had in their body fa tawakkaltu ala allah ta'ala i decided to rely on allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala always took care of me. So these things right here, they're very beautiful. These eight things that he lists out because what he's saying here is that these were lessons that I learned from knowledge. And Imam Ghazali lists them because he's saying that this is what beneficial knowledge does. It shows you the world for what it is. It teaches you a new lesson. It allows you to see things from a different perspective and from the traits of the scholars who focus on the hereafter, he talks about how these are people who avoid sitting with royalties with people from uh, you know politicians they avoid their gatherings and again keep in mind in a Islamic context here, where you have Muslim leadership and they understand that in order to persuade their uh, congregations, they need religious uh, legitimacy. So when they wish to pass something that causes harm or is contradictory to Sharia, they have to implicitly or explicitly involve these scholars. And Imam Ghazali is saying, we've seen this all the time. Something that may not apply much, at least in our Western context, because of that reality not existing. But to a degree, it does still remain. And then he quotes a few statements, and I won't go through all of them, because this is something that doesn't necessarily uh, directly and and abundantly apply to us. But there's one statement that he quotes that I'll share. قَالَ بَعْضُ بَعْضُ السَّلَفِ That some of the scholars of the past said, إِنَّكَ لَا تُصِيبْ مِن دُنْيَاهُمْ شَيْئًا إِلَّا أَصَابُ مِنْ دِينِكَ that you may think you're going to get something out of them. That if I go and meet those people, I'll force them to give me something. But the problem is every one thing that you will get out of them, how many will they take from you? A hundred. You will have to make a hundred compromises before you get one thing out of them. And that's why politics are very sketchy. Every time a new Muslim politician comes up and says they're representing Muslims, it's scary. Because they will choose one matter, and then sacrifice another hundred. And then at the end of it, you're thinking, man, what good did you actually bring? Because the beast does, won't conform to you. Question is, how long will it take before you reach full conformity or you get the boot? That's how politics work. Right? The question is, how long will you conform it? You won't get the beast to conform to you because they are in a position of authority. So this is the point that he's bringing up here he says الاخرة, and from the traits of the scholars of the hereafter that they are not quick in passing verdicts they don't give religious rulings unless they are بصحت, unless they are certain that what they are saying is correct now obviously you can never be hundred percent right but you've put effort into it that you've Given this thought, you've sought shura, you're not just speaking off the cuff. He then quotes Abdurrahman ibn Abi Layla. I saw over 120 companions of Rasulullah. And not one of them was asked a question. But they wished that someone else answered it. They would avoid speaking. He says, "Then, ثم قد آل الأمر إلى أقدام أقوام يدعون العلم اليوم. Now the matter has come to people. By the way, he's speaking from a generation of tabi'is. He's not talking about 2022 America. 2022 fatwas online. He's not talking about that. آل now the matter has come to a group of people who claim knowledge today. يُقَدِّمُونَ They are very quick to answer questions. لِعُمَرٍ Had the same question be presented to. Umar ibn al-Khattab, he would have gathered the Sahaba who participated in the Battle of Badr and sought their advice. Meaning it was such a big matter in front of them. But in the eyes of people, these things have gone away. وَمِنْ صِفَاتِهِمْ And from their traits. أن that the traits of these righteous scholars is that they exert themselves in seeking knowledge that connects them to actions. And what, specifically, that which robs you of the reward of your actions. Doing the deed is one thing, but they're interested in finding out how will I end up losing my reward? What corrupts the good deed? And what causes laziness, complacency in the heart? What increases you wasawis What increases the whispers of shaitan? These are things that they prioritize. And he says from their traits is that they, they, they search for the secrets of religious commands. Why did Allah tell us to pray? What am I looking for? What is the hukum of Allah in Sajda? What is the secret of Al-Fatiha? What is the secret of Allahu Akbar? What's the secret of, what's the lesson? The secret here is speaking of, how does this connect me to Allah? What's the greater lesson behind this ayah of the Quran that I'm reading or this masjid that I'm sitting in, this hajj that I'm about to perform, this umrah, this tawaf. And the last one, صفاتهم, and from their traits, التابعين, to follow the companions and their successors and to avoid all innovations. And with this, he completes the chapter. It's a brief chapter, but it's such a beautiful one. Um, it's the last chapter of this Kitab al And with this, Iyam Ghazali, Allah then goes into the next chapter. Kitab al-Tahara wa asraruha wa salatu wa maa biha. Which is a fascinating chapter. But if Allah gives us maybe another day, I pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accepts and grants us tufeertul amal upon what we learn. Wa sallallahu ta'ala wa alaykum wa